Welcome to the Mystery of Home Education with Linda LaCour Hobar, author of The Mystery of History, a world history curriculum for all ages. This pre-recorded podcast is designed for new and returning homeschool parents seeking direction, encouragement, and inspiration from a biblical worldview. And now your hostess, Linda LaCour Hobar. Hello, friends, and welcome to What is Marxism? Now, if it's not obvious, I'm going to veer away from my typical encouraging podcast to offer you something a bit more sobering here from history. You could say I'm changing hats from nice lady to passionate lady. I really am kind of both. But here's the backdrop for why. So in the mid-1800s, members of the Communist League, they're the ones who gave Karl Marx the task of writing the Communist Manifesto. I'm sure you've heard of it. It was published in London in 1848. Now, that was 174 years ago. So why do we still hear about Marxism when we turn on the news today? And what does the topic have to do with Christian home education? Well, in a nutshell, we hear about Marxism because it is alive and well in our modern world. Oh, quite so. And I will be defining it for you shortly. But I also believe it relates to Christian home education, the central theme of this podcast, because socialism, when properly defined, it is a threat to faith, freedom, and Christian families, those who choose to educate their own children rather than farm out education to any government, be it socialist or not. But trust me when I say that any socialist government, well, they're going to be a far greater threat to home education than a non-socialist government. So I believe it's worth our time for this crash course on Marxism, which if you didn't know, it is the root of socialism. Now, one disclaimer, I cannot explain all the headlines. They're so complicated. And there's plenty of folks out there who are keeping you up on current events. But since I write and study world history, well, I can answer the question, what is Marxism, at least from a historical perspective? But also, because I study God's Word as a Christ follower, well, I can contrast Marx's theories to biblical teaching, and I'm going to do that today, too. So, are you ready? Now, if you're interested, I do have a worksheet and an answer key that will match this talk. Maybe you want it for yourself or maybe for a middle schooler or a high schooler. Well, either way, you can pause now if you'd like to grab that printable. Let me tell you where to find it. Just go to my website, themysteryofhistory.com, and we have a tab for workshops. Go there, and you should clearly see a free PDF under the title, What is Marxism? So open it, print it, and come back. All right, if you're taking notes or not, I have six points to help define Marxism. By the way, these are points that I came up with just from studying the Communist Manifesto. Marx did not break it down like this into these six points, but I think we need these six points just to help us grasp Marxism. So number one, Karl Marx, who was a professed atheist, he believed all conflict was rooted in an economic class struggle between the poor proletariat and the rich bourgeoisie. Now let's kind of clear that up. The proletariat, well, he saw that as the working class. And the bourgeoisie, well, that's a fancy French word. And he used it to refer to those who were business owners, factory owners, maybe even landowners or homeowners. Ownership, that was really the key difference between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. Remember that. Two, 
To settle conflict between the classes, Marx wanted to eliminate one of them. You want to guess which one? I think you know. He wanted to get rid of the bourgeoisie, otherwise known as the system of capitalism. Number three, to eliminate capitalism and the bourgeoisie, Marx sought to deprive the bourgeoisie of private property or private industry or private anything. Because remember, private ownership is what separated the bourgeoisie from the proletariat. Number four, stay with me now, to take away private property or private industry, Marx encouraged the proletariat to use force and to revolt. He even had a name for it. He called it the dictatorship of the proletariat. True. And number five, according to Karl Marx, once the proletariat achieved this revolt, well, it was going to need a transitional socialist government to keep things moving. Yeah, let me say that again. It was going to need a transitional socialist government to keep things moving. So socialism proposed by Marx is government-owned property, industry, and means of production. Marx thought it was a necessary stepping stone to move a society from capitalism to communism. And this step of socialism, it was meant to be temporary. It was a stepping stone. Number six, last, Karl Marx believed that once socialism balanced out the haves with the have-nots by the forced redistribution of wealth, then, he thought, classless, stateless, pure communism would be achieved and that mankind would exist in a freely developed association. By the way, that last word, association, that was his words, not mine. So that was his final goal in his idea of a new normal. Marx wanted to create his definition of utopia on earth after violently reducing mankind to a one-class society, this association. And he thought it could all happen where there would be no rewards or no incentives. Now, that might sound lofty, the utopia part, but the end result? Well, listen, it is not what very many Marxists are going to talk about today. Mm -mm, They don't. They focus on the process and the method. You see, when Marx himself summarized communism, this is what he said it was. And I quote, The theory of the communists may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property, end quote. Now let that sink in a minute. Let me repeat it. It's that important. So this is Karl Marx. He says, The theory of the communists may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. So the destruction of property, well, that's a natural part of communism. And in history, we've seen that. It was part of China's cultural revolution under Chairman Mao. And in America, well, we've seen a lot of riots in the last couple of years where a lot of property was destroyed. Those riots, in part, were designed to intimidate and shake up the status quo, all to then create a new normal. Now it's time to transition, and as a Christian author, I feel compelled to contrast Marxism to Scripture to see where most believers would say that Karl Marx went wrong. I again have six points, but these aren't anything that I created. No, this is what God's Word says. Now these are spelled out in your notes if you chose to print them, so if you'd like, you could just listen in. I am going to mention several Scriptures 
and just either jot those down or, or look at them in your notes. So here we go. Number one. And remember, I'm just contrasting Marx's teachings to Christianity. So Karl Marx, an atheist, did not believe God existed. Therefore, he only believed in the powers of the state and believed the state was worthy of praise. He wrote, and I quote, The idea of God is the keynote of a perverted civilization. It must be destroyed, end quote. Well, in contrast, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1-1 and throughout that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth and therefore is worthy of our praise. See in addition, Exodus 22-6, through 6, Psalm 14-1, or Revelation 4-11. Second point, Karl Marx believed that the heart of man's problems was found and rooted in economics. Does the Bible teach this? Well, not exactly. Now, yes, 1 Timothy 6.10 mentions that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, but this one verse doesn't tell the whole story. The Bible teaches that mankind is created in the image of God, Genesis 1.26, but that through the sin of Adam and Eve, man has inherited a sinful nature. That is outlined in Genesis 3.22-23. So in summary, greed is part of our sinful natures, but it's not the root of all evil as Karl Marx proclaimed. Number three, Karl Marx thought that he could change the sinful, greedy nature of mankind by manipulating his circumstances. Does the Bible teach this? No. According to the Bible, man cannot reconcile his sinful nature, nor can he overcome sin by his works. See Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. No, there's nothing we can do. God sent Jesus Christ as a sacrifice to atone for man's sin. See more about that in John 14, 6, Romans 5, 6 through 8, Hebrews 9, 11 to 15. Point number four. Karl Marx believed that he could relieve the problems of the poor by forcefully restructuring society. Does the Bible support this? No, the Bible does address the needs of society a couple of ways. First, in Mark 12, 17, Jesus encouraged the payment of taxes to one's government, which does help meet the needs of its citizens. Second, Deuteronomy 15, 11, as well as Matthew 26, 11, well, they teach that the poor will always be with us and that members of society should care for their needs. In other words, the Bible deals with the heart of man from where greed springs and definitely promotes sharing with the poor. The Bible doesn't teach that the poor will be better off by eliminating the rich and leveling some imaginary playing field. Now, for more on caring for the marginalized, which is important, see Psalm 41.1, Proverbs 14.21, Proverbs 29.7, Acts 6, 1-4, and Galatians 2.10. Point number five. Karl Marx wished to remove society's financial incentives for achievement, and he personally modeled a very poor work ethic. Does the Bible agree with this? No. The Bible teaches in Luke 10, 7, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, and 1 Timothy 5, 8, that a worker is worthy of his wages. 
should work if he is able, and should provide for the needs of his household. In other words, the Bible encourages work. In fact, work existed before the fall of man. Consider that Adam, well, he had to name the animals and tend a garden. He had to do all that before the fall. Number six and our last point. Karl Marx believed that a perfect society could be made here on earth by the hands of mankind. What does the Bible have to say about this? Well, Revelation 21, 1-5 teaches that the Lord alone in his time will bring about a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more curse and the nations will be healed. Can I hear an amen? But see Revelation 22, 2-3 for that. It is clear in Revelation that man won't be responsible for the new heaven or new earth. That's going to be God's business. So, in summary, Marx's ideas laid out in the Communist Manifesto, well, they are not founded on biblical principles, nor are they built on biblical truths. Now, just a couple of pieces of evidence, a couple of quick results to share with you that display this lack of fruit that we'll see in Marxism. Consider this first. According to the congressional record, 135 million people died in the 20th century alone, 135 million, by efforts of just a few leaders who tried to implement Marxism. Now, what did all those people die of? Well, some died in the Russian Civil War because that nation would fight over whether or not it was going to be communist. That was following the Bolshevik Revolution. Furthermore, it was 34 to 49 million who would die under Joseph Stalin. Of course, he was a Soviet leader, and he ushered in famine, war, and he locked up his enemies in the gulag system. The gulags, by the way, those are Soviet concentration camps. And then there was the Korean War that was fought over communism. The war in Vietnam, it was fought over communism. And then there was the communist takeover of China that was under Mao Zedong. Now here's a second result. Did you know that there are five nations today technically stuck in socialism because it's this alleged step toward pure communism? Remember, it was supposed to offer a utopic, stateless society with only one class, but it doesn't. Do you know which of the five communist nations there are today stuck in socialism? Can you name them? Give you a second to think about it, maybe between you and your students if they're listening. A couple of them are obvious, but then a couple are not so much. You ready? Here they are. China, Cuba, North Korea, Vietnam, and Laos. That last one trips up a few people. God only knows what the 21st century holds. He knows if North America or Europe are going to adopt Marxism or reject it. And as the next voting generation, what will your students do? Well, if they don't know that socialism is a stepping stone to communism, well, they may fall for its offers. Oh, there's offers in socialism for free stuff and alleged equality and equity. There's more to say here, but I do need to wrap this one up. Well, friends, if you found this presentation useful, I do have more. I have a full workshop on The Dark Side of Socialism. You can find it on my website. It's also titled The Threat of Socialism. 
And in case you didn't know, I have four volumes of World History for All Ages. My series is The Mystery of History. And really throughout the series, there are touches of socialism, since it is a form of totalitarianism. Unless I offer self-paced classes, we also have lectures on demand. And those cover the contents of the Mystery of History Volumes 3 and 4. It is Volume 4 that deep dives into the isms that our young people desperately need to know and understand, as in Marxism, Socialism, Communism, but also Darwinism, Nazism, Fascism, Totalitarianism, and all the other isms that do threaten faith, freedom, and family. You can find all that on themysteryofhistory.com. Just go there for more information. Well, thank you for joining me for What is Marxism? I hope it's proved useful. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you for the sake of the mystery. Thank you for listening to The Mystery of Home Education with Linda LaCour Hobar. For more information on Linda's award-winning history program, visit themysteryofhistory.com, a one-stop shop for chronological, Christian, complete world history for all ages.